The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, the NBA's first ever play-in game is in the books, and the Portland Trailblazers take it 126-122. Just an awesome game, as every game, including Portland, seems to be. In fact, John Schumann had the stat that eight of their nine games so far have been within three points in the last three minutes of the game and so much to get to with this one we did it for international league pass actually and stay tuned for potentially more uh, announcements uh, on that sorry for you domestic people but for our international listeners it was a privilege to be able to have you guys join us uh, for that so let's start here from the blazers perspective it's basically been a nine game playoff run that's what terry stotts likened it to after the game and i think what ultimately sealed it was cj mccollum going against john morant at the end yeah i mean we wondered how memphis was going to handle the dangerous guards of portland you know where they were going to put john morant in particular he's not the greatest at getting through screens and in some of those key moments yeah they chose to put jaw on cj mccollum and how he has thrived as a player is really making those tough shots at a higher rate than most and he really did that here 11 of 19 from the field a lot of them twos and really just getting to his spots yeah particularly at the end he attacked Morant in isolation three possessions in a row basically hit two threes on him and then scored on him for a long two and just uh, Morant is really thin CJ just has that strength that little push-off move which is legal the high release on his jump shot and Morant could not do anything with him. And he was trying to get to that jump shot. He hit three in a row, got very good looks, put him in the mix. I mean, it was a, it was a skills trainer's dream. CJ McCollum is kind of a skills trainer's dream of a player. And that's really what ultimately did it. And then finally at the end, when Memphis scores, they're down three with 42 seconds left. It's Dame isolated on Grayson Allen. The Grizz couldn't go offense defense because they were low on timeouts already and so Lillard just gets to his left hand in an iso on Grayson Allen help comes over from Brandon Clark maybe a little too aggressively off the weak side corner Carmelo wide open for a three that put the Blazers up six and Memphis never got within one possession again and there are a lot of different angles to talk about with this game But the two players that I want to focus on from Portland's perspective are Damian Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic. Lillard first, I I thought that while his, you know, you look at the line other than 14 to 14 from the free throw line, and it might not look particularly striking, but remember that an overwhelming amount of what Portland did well 
came from the attention that Lillard was was generating. And that was, you know, when they were doubling, that was creating looks for other teammates, whether that was Melo on that final possession or various other players throughout it. And the other reason that worked was Yusuf Nurkic was absolutely excellent, making the right reads, whether that was trying to score for himself, make passes. He had six assists along with his 22 points and 21 rebounds, 17 first half rebounds for Nurkic. And so I thought that you kind of have to talk about them together because that's a part of why it worked so well. Yeah, absolutely, because Lillard, I thought the Grizz did a pretty good job of mixing up the pick-and-roll coverage on him, but you're never going to stop him entirely. In particular, in the first quarter, they were fouling a ton, and Nurkic then was able to make plays off the short roll when they double-teamed Lillard. He was on the offensive glass. He got some quick post-ups against mismatches, and then defensively, they had no prayer when he was out of the game. His quick hands, they started scoring on him as he tired in the third and, and fourth quarters but Nurkic was what held their defense together in the first half and that was ultimately the the biggest thing particularly in the first quarter uh, that staked the Blazers out to that lead and they were largely in control Memphis actually did lead by eight uh, at one point late in the third but the Blazers largely controlled this game and 41 minutes for Nurkic might be the most impressive at all he played the most minutes of any big man in the seeding games considering that he's coming back into high level competition for his first time in a year and a half I mean at 41 minutes for a center with the amount of bang that he has to take the size that he has a really awesome work from Nurkic on the day that he found out that his grandmother died from the coronavirus heroic performance from him well and a part of the reason why Nurkic had to play that many minutes was because his replacement Hassan Whiteside was abysmal in this game and the Zach Collins was unavailable after the beginning. They called it ankle inflammation for him. We wondered why Collins wasn't coming in. It appears that that's the reason. And Whiteside, who has appeared at moments been a stat heads darling because he gets a lot of blocks and defensive rebounds, you could yeah, see not that- a good stat heads darling. Maybe like a DFS. Yes. Yeah. Idea. Yeah. That sort of. The, yeah. The analytics models generally do not like Hassan Whiteside unless they overvalue defensive rebounding. But he was absolutely terrible defensively. You could see how little impact he had on Grizzlies drivers. Committed way too many fouls. But also Whiteside's lack of offensive versatility created big problems for Portland because they couldn't give Whiteside the ball and ask him to make a good decision. There were a couple of decent passes, but generally speaking, he doesn't have that same verve to his game, and that made it so that their offense stagnated in his position. It was mostly a defensive problem. Kyle Anderson torched him in that second quarter, but a terrible game by Whiteside meant more for Nurkic to do. Yeah, they even tried playing Whiteside and Nurkic together. Those units uh, looked a little bit better until Brandon Clark hit four of four three-pointers in the third quarter. His previous career high had been two made three-pointers. Valanchunas also was awesome for the Grizz in this one with 22 points. He was actually plus 12. Clark, hilariously, had 20 points on 11 field goal attempts, four of five from three, and he was negative 27 somehow in 25 minutes. I I wouldn't say his fault, although he did uh, have a, a few struggles trying to guard out in the perimeter as we saw in that last Carmelo Anthony shot John Morant really deserved a lot of credit for how he rebounded in the in a general sense not a basketball sense after a pretty rough first quarter and ended up playing the entire second half 35 points eight assists three of six from three he hit three three pointers in the second half as well two of them when the Blazers went under on those screens so he was really getting into the lane 
in the second half but he did run out of gas in the fourth he had a series of three possessions where he missed a layup he missed a floater and then got his pass deflected by Gary Trent Gary Trent actually had three deflections on Ja Morant in the third or I'm sorry in the fourth quarter Trent ending up with a fantastic line with five steals in this game and played outstanding defense on Morant but I mean I think the future definitely looks very bright for John Morant after this game he played as well as you could expect from a rookie in that spot well and especially with the revelation after the game that he's been playing with a fractured right thumb for the last four games like that that makes it even more ridiculous what what John Morant has done but yeah I mean the way that he is able to generate defensive uh, reactions is incredibly important and and a, a more fleshed out Grizzlies team can can take advantage of that more they really miss Jaron Jackson Jr. in this Justice Winslow hasn't even played a minute for them yet so yeah I agree with you the future the future is bright in Memphis and I mean what are the interesting questions will be whether this I mean Brady Clark I don't think he's going to shoot four for four from three in a single quarter Clark had 14 points in six and a half minutes in that third quarter I don't necessarily think that's going to continue but you know they have a lot of options here and I think that's something that I enjoy about the Grizzlies is that they have these you know and, and they have players like Kyle Anderson who yeah probably shouldn't start 27 start and play 27 minutes most of the time unless he has playing like that second quarter but he's a part of the rotation and I think that Memphis having that depth through people like him and Melton and Grayson Allen who has done well though we should note the air punch technical foul ends up looming large you know I, I believe that it was an incorrect call but that's sort of a reaction to yeah, an the, incorrect the, call not the technical call but the call on the block that he had on Lillard yes yeah, so the the yeah, the technical call was correct, but the the call so basically he reacted to an to a call that I feel was incorrect, but he reacted too aggressively and so that led to that led to the tech. And, you know, that one point, yeah, you know, it's it, it you can't tell players they're not robots, you know, part of that is the the human the human element that we appreciate and when it's on a, an incorrect call, I have significantly more sympathy. But, you know, it does it does happen and it's worth mentioning. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, 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 one other yeah, thing yeah. I wanted to mention, part of the reason also that the white side minutes were so disastrous is that they they had the combo of Whiteside and Carmelo playing together and and Hazonia and Hazonia the, and the, not the, exactly the, who you the want operative word you often use there is flammable that is a flammable trio <laughs> to have out there on the floor together and Terry Stotts you know credit to him for going away from it though the way he went away from it was just playing his best players more but it does two things one that was a terrible decision to try to try to play those guys together like there was it was a no hoper of a lineup for me but also there aren't that many lineups that Portland could go to, especially with Collins unavailable, that could have inspired that much more hope, especially when Nurkic and Willard fit so well together offensively. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the Blazers, yeah, the, the Grizzlies did have a lead in the third and they put up a crazy 42 points in that third quarter. And then the Blazers came right back to outscore them 37-28 in the fourth. But if you just look at where the shots came from in this game and what happened with the starters on the floor, uh, although pretty amazing that Lillard 45 minutes and was plus 17 it was it was Embiid like uh, where he he missed three minutes and they got outscored by 13 points in those three minutes. Um, but he played 45 minutes. McCollum played 44. But with the Nurkic and Lillard on the floor, both of those guys, uh, they outscored the Grizz substantially. And the Grizz were 14 to 25 from three. That's not something that you normally see. Brooks and Clark were both four of five from downtown and Morant was three of six. I mean, that's just not something that you're regularly going to see from this Grizzlies team. And yet the Grizz also just committed a lot of bad fouls, put portland for 41 free throws and so 
So I do think that the Blazers did play better than them. They just had more of a theory to their offense, obviously, going through Lillard and McCollum, whereas Morant was really the only hope for the Grizz. I also felt that Taylor Jenkins could have done a little better with some of his lineups, especially with Anderson playing well. He never, ever tried playing Anderson at the four, and I thought the reason for that was, well, he doesn't want to go with a non-shooter at the four, but if you play Anderson at the four, then you can get another shooter on with Grayson Allen at one of the smaller positions. And so you still get that same effect as you would. I think they should have tried that. They could have been better defensively with Anderson. We saw Clark get taken advantage of a little bit by Anthony as a shooter late in the game. Um, Anthony Melton, he had to go out of the game because he took a terrible long two in transition at the start of the fourth quarter when the Grizz were kind of in control of things. But he had some um, opportunistic yeah. steals too. I thought that he, he played active defensively. And Melton, another guy, I was talking about this before with Memphis having guys that you can slot in the rotation. I would say the same is true for him. Probably not a starter unless he develops a lot, but I, I still really like Melton. Yeah, absolutely. It was just a, that was a, a, a mistake. I thought he did have two steals though. And it, I criticized Jenkins for some of the rotations. Not that badly. I think with a limited group he did a pretty good job the other thing they ran a couple of nice atos to get morant going like off a handoff so in the handoff game with valanchunas these last two games was like unstoppable brooks on the handoff getting to the elbow which we talked about on thursday night and then morant just uh, there was one play a sideline out of bounds where as an inbounder he basically almost is like running a football pattern to lose his guy and then go back door and then he was able to beat nurkic on that so you know for morant i think this is a learning experience for him he played well with the 35 points but he also had eight turnovers um yeah he did have the broken thumb which it, it kind of explains why because he was going left every time on his drives it seemed like and so i was wondering if like there was something going on there and it seemed like there was uh, in the end uh and then also defensively he'll learn that he has to get better he's got to get stronger get more core strength be able to guard someone like cj mccollum although certainly when they have justice winslow available he can take one of those guys and they can hide morant much the way that the blazers have done with damian lillard over the years um anything else on this one no i think that i think that's about enough man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because 
you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us so we got some playoff previews to get to here but first danny the nba layoffs are here should we start with the craziness in sacramento yes we should start there and vlade divots is no longer running the front office for the Sacramento Kings. It looks like Joe Dumars is going to take over. Not only is Vlade out, but also Peja Stojakovic, who I believe has been listed as the assistant general manager in Sacramento. He is also out. Dumars might be hiring a general manager, but remember with the kind of the chaos that has been happening now with definitions, the thing I like to focus on is who is the primary decision maker. And it looks like that's going to, at least for the interim basis, be Joe Dumars, um, whatever the- Yeah, what he has it, actually been named executive vice president of basketball operations. Right. And he's going to lead a GM search, but number one, that GM may come in below him. And number two, the guy who really wants to be a GM leading the GM search. We saw that happen in... in his old stopping grounds Detroit with Ed Stefanski and now uh, I, I predict a similar outcome for this one with Dumars yeah and so I mean 
you and I have discussed Vlade throughout the Dunked On era. I mean, going back to the insanity on July 1st, 2015, when after almost all of the best free agents had already signed, Vlade gave up what became the Lakings pick for the space that basically became Rajon Rondo. That didn't work out particularly well. And, you know, the, the low the low points were incredibly low. Like, Vlade should not have retained his job as long as he did. There were, you know, there were a few possible or positive things. I mean, it turned. I think it turned out that the trade of DeMarcus Cousins, you know, I think that ended up working out reasonably well for them. Buddy Heald in a first-round pick when, I mean, some of it was injury-related, but Cousins didn't exactly thrive in New Orleans. But... The So while I said that a lot of his worst stuff was early, it also came in late. And I think what doomed him with Vivek Ranadive was the decision to pass on Luka Doncic and, and draft Marvin Bagley. And it's hard when, especially when a young player has the track record that Luka does and then becomes an MVP caliber player so quickly, it can be hard for a general manager to live that down. What I'd like to go back to here, and yes, Vlade should never have been hired. He had no idea what he was doing with the salary cap. But it all goes back to Vivek Ranadive. Yes. He's not the sanest of owners. There's a reason why we had him in our bottom five in every one of these organizational rankings or ownership rankings that I've ever done or the ones I've done with Hollinger. And, and let's just take you through the process here, right? The process under Ranadive, it always sucks, right? You can go back to 2013. Oh, we're going to hire our coach, Mike Malone, before we're going to hire our GM, Pete D'Alessandro. Well, that didn't go too well. Malone ends up getting fired. Then there's the crazy George Carl saga as well. Then in 2015, Divots comes in as basically kind of just like a man man about town advisor. Let's try to get a better culture. I'm a nice guy. And within three months, he's running the whole team. He kind of sidles up to Ronadive, and all of a sudden, that's who Ronadive wants. Thing, you know. Pete D'Alessandro is theoretically had come over from Denver. He's theoretically the GM. They hire Vlade. D'Alessandro has no idea what's going on as far as like, is this guy, am I reporting to this guy now? Like, what is the story? But of course, certainly, was there any kind of a real GM search to replace D'Alessandro to put in Vlade? No, it's just, hey, you know, we'll hire this guy. And oh, now he's around the owner and he sweet talks the owner into getting the position, which he clearly was unqualified for. Well, I mean, you could argue that one side all deserves another. Well, well, precisely, right? And now, Joe Dumars, they hire him as a, an advisor at the start of this season. Dumars had long been rumored to potentially be in the mix in New Orleans if Dell Demps met his demise, but he was close to Tom Benson and, and some of the Saints people like Mickey Loomis. But thankfully, under Gail Benson, uh, we were very worried about that process. And no, hey, he actually opened it up and like interviewed candidates and got a very good GM with really good experience and a really good track record in David Griffin. And now, of course, the exact same thing has happened here in Sacramento. And yes, Dumars had a nice three-year run in from like 2002 to 2004, although some would contend that Larry Braun was very involved in some of the moves that they made to build that team. But he also drafted Darko. Irony abounds, of course, that perhaps the only guy guy who blew a number two overall pick in a loaded draft worse than Vladi Divac blew it was Joe Dumars and now he is the the one that replaced Divac and then even still this process of Vladi Divac we didn't even they weren't even like planning to fire him they just brought him in 
to say, hey, you know what? Uh, how do you feel about working alongside Joe Dumars? And oh, by the way, he's going to have the power. Now, Vlad Divas is like, no, I got other stuff to do. If I'm not going to have the power, you might as we might as well move on. And so he keep in mind, Vlad Divas, he got extended a year ago, Danny. Yeah. And, and he got to choose his coach, who it looks like is going to stay on. Yeah. And congratulations to extend Vladi Divac, who had a terrible run. It was already incredibly clear that he'd botched the Doncic thing and became even more so. So, like, that's that's not new information here. The Kings were not a favorite to make the play. It's like, oh, you've shown some progress. Congrats, you won 39 games. And so, really, I mean, it all goes back to this terrible process with Ranitive and now some of the names that are, are, are being mentioned. Well, hey, let's... Uh, Scott Perry worked under Joe Dumars in Detroit. And hey, he did... We've seen some of these media reports, which are were, are just as insane as they were at the time that, that they're being mentioned of. Oh, yeah, Scott Perry did a great job bringing in George Hill and Vince Carter and Zach Randolph in the summer of 2017. And then he moves on to the Knicks. So, yeah, he made a great impression. We're going to bring him back now. Uh, if if that is a good. part of the rationale, no one won the press conference better than Scott Perry, who got out of Dodge somehow doesn't get the blame for those decisions being terrible. I- impressive work. And with, with Dumars, it, his resume in Detroit is fascinating. And it, it might inspire me. I want to kind of thinking about doing a picks, doing a piece series on on an idea that I'm kind of going at here of like basically does that person deserve another opportunity? And with him, yes. you you yes. get you get into this idea of well, yeah, I mean, he, integral role, and also of course, how do you apportion credit within a front office? All those complications because the early years, yeah, there were a lot of really good things in Dumars's decision making. But what concerns me is a the overall draft record is isn't great there. I mean, you can go through a lot. Of different, a lot of different parts of this, like you know, yeah, he had some wins, though, like Greg oh, Monroe, yeah, row Andre Drummond. Like, I, I mean, drafted Chris decent. Middleton, but then traded Chris Middleton for Brandon Jennings. I mean, you can go both ways yeah. on that. Well, I mean, you, you could also just look at the free agent signings where the Kings have not exactly shined in recent years well, either. Well, and that's where, and that's where I'm a little bit concerned is that the Dumars is one of the er, one of the prominent examples of the dangers of somebody general managing for their job. I mean, the Josh Smith contract was just unbelievably terrible which was then exacerbated by to play him at the three they decided to play him at the three i still remember where i was when i saw that i tweeted that i was like i was basically just the the free agent equivalent of a mason Plumley post up in, into a hook shot i was just like oh no oh no and he wasn't even on the team a year and a half later yeah and i mean he didn't get he didn't get stretched by dumars but yeah he, they're dumars. just ending paying him this year yeah i know congratulations um so yeah it's a it's a fascinating circumstance and the process on it is absolutely terrible yet again from vivek ronadive and hopefully they can you know that this ends up leading somewhere like it seems a little bit less committal than it could be in certain circumstances i don't know the contractual terms of of dumars relationship it might not be it might be more committed than i think uh, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. But that was only one of the big moves. It's an important Well, I got, I got one more point on this yes. too here. And, and this will actually make a, a good transition to the next one. Uh, my guy Matt at Bloggable would always note that basically uh, through uh, his unending vitriol against the Bulls organization, which I largely enjoy and is deserved, he would always note, like, basically asking the question, would any other organization hire this guy, right? Like, that to me should be the number one step for any owner to just ask yourself, like, is this guy really in any kind of demand? Is he even getting interviews elsewhere? You know, Vlade Divac, no other team would have even thought to hire him in any kind of decision-making role, certainly not without, you know, a couple of years of actually, like, you know, learning the collective bargaining agreement before beforehand. But hey, you know, 
He's close to Ron Adive, and he's got some equity in the community. So, hell, let's just sign him up to be our but, president of basketball operations. And, hell, let's just give him an extension, right? It's, it's worse, it's worse than that, though, because yeah. you could keep playing it out year after year of given the track record of, of Vlade at this point, would any team hire him? And, I mean, after 15, I mean, he's, yeah. he's radioactive by that point. And yet he still gets another five years running the organization after just one of the worst general manager off seasons we've ever seen. And part of it, and he even he was there long enough for that to come to roost. And it was still still outlasted. It's truly incredible. And yeah, Pages Stoyakovich is another one. Like, was anybody clamoring to hire Pages Stoyakovich immediately as an assistant GM? Like, guess what? Having played basketball, maybe there was a time when that was good enough, but it's not anymore. Like, you that's not enough qualification. You can't just be a GM of a team. You need to actually learn stuff. And also, frankly, prove that you're willing to put in work in a completely different way than you have to as a player. Yeah, like, you can bring up the path that, like, Calvin Booth has taken through all this as, as the Absolutely. different. Absolutely. The difference between that and Peja, I think, is is really telling. And you know, he came up as a scout, and 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 now he's now he's risen up to number two in the Nuggets after Kurnishevitz got the job in Chicago. And now we have a transition to Chicago, where we wondered, and there was the piece last week talking about how financially. The Bulls weren't going to move on. I, I got to use the ownership as the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA, where it looked like Jerry Reinsdorf was too cheap to fire Jim Boylan and hire a new coach. However, I thought it was going to kind of have to be a part of the general manager negotiations. Kardashevitz gets to hire his own coach. Yeah, and you know, it seems like the reporting on this was just off, and we wondered why they would have waited so long. I mean, maybe it was just from a PR standpoint. Maybe there was someone on one of these bubble teams that they wanted to interview that just uh, wasn't available until now. Maybe it's just the normal day that you do this when the NBA layoffs happen. But this is indeed the correct decision, much as our comedic brains uh, will be disappointed by not being able to refer to the mutiny anymore. And I do think that Boylan was put into a difficult situation because of the injuries that they had i don't think there's a coach who could have done that much better but clearly the negative headlines relating to the players no free agent was ever going to sign there with the the reputation that, that he had and yes he did try to implement some things which i appreciated and you know he's been on this podcast before i think he, i've had conversations with him like i do think he is a sharp basketball mind but just a little bit too much of a college mentality in chicago and it's one of those ones where hey you know what like i, I advocate that coaches should probably actually be fired maybe more often than they are it is very rare to me that a team fires a coach and really ends up regretting it because they know uh, what they've got uh, with that coach i mean you could argue maybe the bulls would be in that category with uh, the thibodeau to hoiberg transition uh but for boylan i think at a minimum you could be sure that hey this guy wasn't going to be a coach in the top half of the league and so take another bite at the apple uh, with him and so we'll see who they come up with it does seem like a developmental coach kenny atkinson is someone who i think will get some consideration there as they try to really build a culture of development and that's the number one thing for this group is they don't have a ton of ways to improve they've got this young core and those players just simply have to get better 
And this puts a lot on Arturis Konishovic to make the right decision. You know, the, the most you know the most important thing a lot of times that a co- that a general manager has to do if the talent is pretty fixed is make sure you have the right coach for it. And the tactical part of it will be big. I mean, what do you build offensively and defensively? And I think Boylan got a lot of crap for the defensive scheme because it was so ridiculous. But they also had terrible defensive personnel. Yeah. They forced a bunch of turnovers, and it's not uh, like yeah, they I mean, could have done I anything he, else. He got a lot of crap for that, but that was especially against bad teams that was the best way for them to defend to me i mean they, like they exceeded expectations on defense given the fact that Otto porter missed the whole year wendell carter missed a bunch of time like they they were better than expected like i thought that system was to some degree tailored to the personnel i think it's really to me it's even more the emotional aspects of coaching than the strategic aspects that uh boylan really just didn't measure up at right and coaching is an incredibly challenging job and that's i think part of why the turnover needs to be stronger is because you have to be able to do a lot of different things well. And Boylan clearly didn't do some of them well. I mean, the punch clocks and the some of his relationship with the media, but more his relationship with players. Like you, It is almost impossible unless you have built up the credentials with success that players will tolerate that he obviously had not. And so that led to a challenge. And then the other firing is, is very interesting in New Orleans. Alvin Gentry got let go. I had been kind of seeing the writing on the wall here, not necessarily because Gentry was a terrible coach. He the the bubble that we both picked them as our most disappointing team in the podcast on Thursday night. But and, and also Gentry has a connection with David Griffin. This is not you know he inherited the coach, but it's a little bit different. But the Pelicans' job is exceedingly difficult. You have these pieces that don't fit together particularly well offensively and defensively, and Gentry got parts of it working you know I, I think you could see moments in time that that best five worked out reasonably well but you could see the distance here and that Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram are hard pieces to fit together on both ends of the floor getting Zion to defend something Kevin Pelton wrote about in his piece that, that that's a big challenge and we didn't see that happen under Alvin Gentry at least so far and also like if if David Griffin thought he should have a different coach you know thought that Gentry wasn't the right player for this that decision now falls on his head and if it doesn't work out then it's griffin's ass yeah and there was reporting that gentry and gail benson had a good relationship in part due to the way that gentry shepherded the good ship pelican in the midst of all the anthony davis craziness last year but i do think that this is the right decision for the pals you know gentry just hard to articulate what he did well as a coach and what this team did well and you know they just did this was not a discipline team they turned the ball over way too much they didn't get back on defense i think potentially they might have missed jeff bizdelic yes not in the bubble and actually there to coach but uh, we'll see what happens with him chris finch is on that staff Uh, david griffin did speak highly of some of the people who are still there so maybe that will be the case although you know that generally doesn't sit incredibly well with new coaching candidates but given the talent that this team has this is going to be a desirable opening perhaps the most desirable opening although we will of course see if any further opening emerge and the question we got asked on the league pass nba cast today is what kind of a coach should they be looking for and 
To me, a lot of that depends on where the front office decides that they want to go. Drew Holiday, we've talked about his contract situation. Are they going to offer him an extension? Does he want to stay there? He can be a free agent in the summer of 2021. They could offer him just a regular extension going out. I think if he doesn't take something that you would be comfortable paying, you have to look at moving him. Derek Favors is a free agent. They couldn't stop anybody except when Favors was on the floor. Jackson Hayes, very unlikely to be ready. And so I think what happens with those two players is really going to determine your path in some way if you're going to bring those guys back you say hey when zion was available when we had favors we played pretty well we could have been in the playoffs this year we want to keep building on that and or if that you probably get one kind of coach there who if you're ready to win now you might go with another kind of coach if you say that hey zion williamson it's only his rookie year brandon ingram we got to get these guys to defend more we got to develop players more um and you know maybe that could be more of a kenny atkinson type of hire a first-time head coach type of hire if you decide you want to win now then maybe it's it's someone different than that um also one little tiny thing to watch here griffin mentioning that he wants to retain part of that stuff part of that staff is fred vincent and fred vincent deserves all the credit in theory for changing around brandon ingram shot he had maybe the one best one season improvement shooting wise in nba history and lonzo ball as well the ball uh really struggled in the the seeding games so if i'm any other team i'm basically uh, i mean like getting a guy to to improve shooting wise like i would pay fred vincent like 2.5 million dollars a year to, to like to come in if you could if he could just improve one player the way he improved brandon ingram he's worth that money yeah and it's not subject to the collective bargaining agreement there are a lot a lot of bet i mean the if you if it can be established that they have a reliably positive impact i mean you can get into the real the real value of that a couple a couple of other pieces of news we still have some playoff previews to do and a lot of the news depending on which previews we do today yeah, we, we can, we get can to hit there. some of those just in line as we talk about those but but the one yeah I, I think yeah i mean all of them are, all of them are on playoff teams so i think we can just get to it then yeah a little bit of nba news though um henry abbott from true hoop recording that apparently michelle roberts told players that number one this is his tweet i'll read it verbatim she expects the current collective bargaining agreement is toast number two she is optimistic about negotiating a new one and number three next season will most likely begin sometime between late january and early march that according to Henry Abbott and th- that'll be interesting people are talking about Christmas uh, potentially but obviously the NBA is going to try to maximize the amount of time that fans can be in the stands and it could be a fluid situation all of this of course subject to negotiation as well and when they say the current collective bargaining agreement is toast I'm I don't think there's going to be a massive change to the overall structure of the league but that they are going to have to sign some sort of a new agreement I would expect that the biggest aspect of that will be be more escrow so that if revenue goes down uh the distribution to players can be normalized within that season as opposed to having to wait until future seasons that would affect the salary cap and they're gonna have to make some agreement on the salary cap going forward but i don't i don't think like the whole system of the league is going to change that's not how i interpret that report at least yeah the other piece of news is that the league and the player association are in talks on what would be an in-market bubble program for the delete eight that would involve daily testing two weeks of group practices one one week of individual workouts and one hour of five on five per day per Shams Trania of The Athletic. And you know that at least some of the teams in the Delete Eight are fighting pretty hard for that. It would be an opportunity, the, the chance, especially if we're moving back potentially next season from the original indications it's a long time to go between between workouts now you could also see this is very different in market stuff from the idea of potentially them playing like televised games or something like that 
but I think it's you know it's a, it's a happy medium if they can make it work. It's not the same as a bubble. It's it's more in line with the earlier stuff we were seeing from teams, which wasn't which wasn't as successful. Let's call it as the bubble. But I can see the idea of trying to make this happen. Yeah, a couple of reactions to that. Number one, does bubble mean that they're gonna all like stay at a hotel together in market? Is that the idea? They're they presumably will have to test and then have some period of quarantine without uh, close contact for you know at least a five six day period the incubation period before they would show up on a positive test and maybe you could say you know michelle roberts has been pretty forthcoming about this that the safety has to be high and we've had you know mo bamba actually has complications from COVID 19 it sounds like and he's gonna have to be reevaluated. he's left the bubble for that purpose uh it seems like he's really been having trouble getting his win back so it's not like any nba player who gets this thing they're fine and of course there's staffers to consider as well on the other hand this isn't the sort of thing where there's a lot of money at stake here if you did have an outbreak on a team it wouldn't torpedo the entire enterprise it would just be that team that then wouldn't be able to practice but still i mean you don't want these players getting it you don't want them taking it home to their families so i would recommend at least you know a five or six day period where you know maybe it's only only just individual workouts and no close contact early on and of course you know no going out in the community and doing anything uh, until they start these and we'll see also whether teams are going to like require some of their veteran guys to be there or it'll just be young guys uh, that'll be an interesting question as well okay we'll hit some playoff previews here in just a moment okay ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Danny, I, I mean, I think probably the place to start since Portland is on our mind is Lakers Portland. Yeah, I mean, we saw the Blazers defend significantly better for portions of Saturday's game than they have throughout the rest of the bubble, but the Lakers put so much stress 
on exactly what the Blazers do poorly when the Lakers have the ball. They have two of the 10 best players are on the forward line, and you can play AD at the five, but that's, you know, he, he's of that. And without Trevor Reza, the Blazers have absolutely no one who can defend those guys. You can make the counter that, that the Lakers don't have really that many guys to defend Lillard and CJ, but the challenge of going after LeBron and, and, and Anthony Davis is going to be a major, it's going to be brutal for them. Yeah, I think starting with when the Lakers have the ball, the Lakers have struggled offensively. They haven't hit shots. And we did see the Grizzlies struggle for half, but this Portland defense has been quite porous. And this is a great way, I think, for the Lakers offense to get healthy against a Houston team that switches a lot against the Clippers with their personnel. Yes, I could see those Lakers offensive struggles becoming an issue, but especially because Nurkic likes to get on the offensive glass. The Lakers can get out and transition, which has really been stymied during the bubble. They've missed that a lot. Their transition offense is number one in the NBA. Their half-court offense is pretty mid-pack. And then, you know, they can go to a LeBron post-up whenever they want. I mean, is it going to be Carmelo Anthony? Gary Trent is too small. Wenyan Gabriel is too thin and too inexperienced. Zach Collins is, is a foul magnet, and we don't even know if he can play now with this ankle inflammation where he had to leave a must-win game actually i guess that's not technically true for the players it's not a must-win game but they, they treated it that way and so who is going to guard lebron is a major question and then the other thing to remember if you go back to that 18 series where portland got swept by new orleans they had no defensive answers for anthony davis either right that's a really good that's a really good point to bring up and do you want to do you want to transition i mean we can go back to it is there anything else that's particularly pertinent when the lakers have the ball anything we should be yeah definitely um you know i think that going smaller will really help the lakers in this number one because davis can run the floor on nurkic the blazers of course want to barricade the lane they're gonna have to play white side to him he's he's an nba player they are just short on those in general um also just the lakers transition game against what's going to be a tired portland team i would imagine it is going to be huge and then davis in pick and pop out on the floor against nurkic getting getting by him on quick drives the pick and roll between lebron and ad and then just general spacing is also those alignments become more palatable because javel mcgee has struggled kyle kuzma has actually looked really good he's been the one laker who can hit a shot and defensively he looks much improved so if i'm frank vogel i might even just start with ad at center and kyle kuzma instead because mcgee hasn't been that good dwight howard is still solid i think you just make him your backup center i might even have javel totally out of the rotation they might give him a shot at first they are the favorite but i would be pretty aggressive getting to some of uh, those other lineups the blazers don't have any size in the perimeter that can hurt them at all and you just you kind of fix some of your shooting problems that they've had with two bigs on the floor and kcp danny green not able to hit shots um and the last thing i want to look at is how much is lebron going to post up he's going to have the advantage in the post about just about anyone that he's guarding and so particularly if they go ad at center that unlocks those lineups and he can just put whoever is guarding him in the goal their stats are like 1.2 points per possession overall whenever lebron posts up or passes out of the post this year and so how much is he going to go to that because he hasn't really had the jumper working uh brian windhorst was noting that he's looked a little hesitant finishing in the lane but you know that's against guys with some size portland doesn't have anyone like that to guard him so i think lebron out of the post kind of let him ease into things facilitate down there instead of having to face up and attack the basket every time that that might work a little bit better for them danny i mean i mentioned all the terrible options that they have but who's the best of those bad options to guard lebron james oh no 
Oh, I mean, am I completely insane? Is it Zach Collins? I think so, unless you're going to say we're going to switch a four or five pick and roll with Collins and Nurkic. Uh, maybe I, I would give Collins a chance just because there's nobody else, but Collins oh, can't get well, through a screen. So the, you know the, I mean? the, and that ties in with the thing that I think is the biggest swing factor in this in this series in, entirely, which is use of Nurkic getting in foul trouble. We saw on Saturday that, yeah, Hassan White says not going to be as unbelievably shitty as he was in this game and every game, but it, it doesn't work nearly as well, especially Portland's offense, and the Lakers are much better better situated to getting Nurkic in foul trouble than the Grizzlies were, and especially with LeBron rolling to the rim and an AD. So if they can change Nurkic's minutes per game, if they can get it down by foul trouble, especially if Stotts is being conservative, it's going to be a massive problem for Portland. Now, the other reason I think that the Lakers going small really allows them to press the advantage is if Collins and Nurkic can both play, the way that KCP and Danny Green and LeBron are shooting the ball, if you let both those guys stay on the floor even if you let them go to Nurkic and Whiteside together and just pack the paint and not let you get anything there the Lakers are one of the best attacking the paint then maybe that's a way that you can win but if there's enough space out there that it's really hard to play Collins at the four if you know Collins has to guard like Kuzma and then that puts Carmelo on LeBron or it's Gary Trent on, on LeBron and may, maybe you can hope for the Blazers that Gary Trent will just you know give a good effort and LeBron will just be just not want to go down into the post to, as much against him at least until the before the end of the game when he'll presumably take it more seriously but yeah i think if you go big yes those lakers units have worked but portland can like kind of counter that particularly because they've got two good rim protectors out there in in nurkic and collins if you go small the blazers don't have an answer for that defensively but let's talk about when the blazers have the ball now yeah, and, and that's why there might be some some real fireworks in this series. Damian Lillard, when he is as dominant as he has been during these seeding games, the Kia player of the seeding games, he creates scheme issues for just about everybody. Do you want to switch? Do you want to trap? Do you want to try to have your guy fight through the screen like Dylan Brooks did for part of the game? And the Lakers... I would say they don't particularly have good personnel for any of those specific approaches. And I, I'm really interested to see how Frank Vogel handles that. And maybe he ends up doing what Taylor Jenkins did on Saturday and just mixing it up a little bit enough that Lord can't necessarily pre-predict where it's going. Oh, I disagree with you, Danny. I think they do have good personnel because they can put Anthony Davis at center. And Anthony Davis, I thought he, even more than Drew Holiday, was such a key in that 18 series. Now, Lillard is a better player. He has more experience dealing with those traps he's worked specifically on that many times he can split those now he can string them out he can get by guys but Anthony Davis is so fast that I, I think he can be really good in that spot I think it's really more about your center in some ways than it is the guy who's actually on Lillard and you know KCP is dealing with an injury I would have said before this that he was a pretty good option to guard Damian Lillard he hasn't played well I think he can be a little bit better you know Caruso yeah I mean that's that's an interesting one particularly if Dame wants to face him up and just get to a step back or drive by him hard left. I don't know if Caruso's feet are quick enough. I don't know if anyone's feet are quick enough the way he's shooting the ball, then you have to respect that. So, uh, and then I think Danny Green, that's an interesting one on to guard CJ. You know, Green's feet have slowed down a little bit, but CJ, he doesn't necessarily beat you with speed. He really wants to create the space in the mid-range, shoot over you. And so I think actually Danny Green can be a decent option there. Um, they are going to miss Avery Bradley in the series. They're probably not going to have 
have Rondo. Quinn Cook will get cooked if he goes out there. So they, they do, other than Green and Caldwell Pope, I don't think that their personnel is great and those guys aren't playing that well. You know, Deion Waiters wouldn't be a guy I'd particularly want to count on there. Waiters, I like him more as a switch defender than an on-ball guy in pick and roll. So there are definitely some concerns for LA, but I think that Anthony Davis can make up for a lot of those. LeBron is a good help defender as well behind the play. If they do go into those four on threes, I think the Lakers have the intelligence and the talent to defend out of those situations as well. And something else I'm going to keep an eye on in this series, this is, I guess, more macro than when the Blazers have the ball, but it affects it, is the difference in fatigue here. So the Blazers have had to work so hard to get into the playoffs themselves and yeah, they don't play again until Tuesday. That game is the last game of the day on Tuesday, and it'll be basically the last game of the day every other. But they've worked their players incredibly hard for all nine games they've played, whereas the Lakers have largely been taking it easy. And yes, they have been out of a rhythm, but nothing gets you in a rhythm quite like playing the Portland Trailblazers defense. And Well, and here's the other thing too, not only fatigue cumulatively, but just within game as well. Like the Lakers, yeah, LeBron is going to have to play a lot of minutes, but everyone else is probably, they've got enough options there. They've got enough NBA players, whereas Portland, a Nurkic is going to have to play 40 minutes. They get killed when he, whenever he's not out there. They really struggle. Their, their backup guard depth, I mean, they, they're playing like one backup guard at all. You know, they put Simons out there and he was a disaster for two minutes. Like you can't play him against this team. And so just the Blazers overall depth is so limited within games that they just can't do any thing when you know McCollum Lillard and Nurkic aren't are all playing over 40 minutes and the replacements for those guys are very limited because Trent really has to play more as a forward yeah that's a real challenge um yeah the only other thing that I would point to is I think the Lakers can do a good job of keeping Portland off the offensive glass where they can have a a pretty good effect well and if Portland goes hard for the offensive glass they're going to get murdered in transition yeah absolutely so this is this Portland defense in particular is just a great way for the Lakers to get healthy if the Lakers were playing a better defensive team I think I would have more concern in this series but I'm going to go with the Lakers in five ultimately I just don't think now Lillard could go crazy the other thing I'll tell you too Danny is Portland just never blows anyone out like they just like can't their their defense is so bad that they just can't maintain a big lead against any of these teams so it's going to be tough for them to ever have a, a game where they really hurt the Lakers maybe they could win a bunch of close ones but I think the Lakers are fully capable of blowing Portland out as well and if Lillard just doesn't have incredible games it's going to be so hard for them I I fully agree I was very torn between Lakers Lakers in five and Lakers in six. I because I could see full respect to Lillard and CJ. Like you could see them willing this team, you know, getting enough tough baskets because the the Blazers can do that to extend the series. It could be one of those really lopsided six game series. Like I, I kind of that's part of what makes me reluctant to pick the Lakers in five, but I'm going to do it anyway. I think that it is the most likely outcome here, and I could see it being you know like something like close win for the Blazers, two blots for the Lakers, and then two like close ish wins. And remember the. Lakers were one of the best defensive teams in the entire league this year and yes they have they don't have the best personnel against the Blazers specifically but they can seal off the basket pretty well they have a lot of people that can make life hard on Yusuf Nurkic so and their offense is going to be able to feast against the Portland Trailblazers so I yeah I guess we've now agreed twice because we both said heat and five as well yeah well I will disagree I still I think that Anthony Davis might be 
the big that I would most want out there, except for maybe like a Draymond Green or something who's going to switch. But if you have a big who's going to play any kind of a conventional pick and roll coverage, he's probably the guy yeah. that I would I, I'm, I'm thinking more have. on the guard line rather than the forward line. Yeah, yeah, that that's fair. But uh, And then actually one, one other thing on this too, Anthony Davis on his post-ups, I don't think Portland has a way to guard that either. I think he's too quick for Nurkic. Nurkic you can get Nurkic in foul trouble. Zach Collins, same thing. Everyone else is too small for him. And if they try and double team, Portland doesn't have the athleticism to fly around the way like Toronto did earlier in the seeding game. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. I'll let you choose where we go from here. All right, we've done one Eastern Conference and one Western Conference series. Let's save Denver and Utah for tomorrow because uh, we still got some major questions on the health standpoint for Denver. Let's go Dallas Clippers, uh, the other LA team. Uh, injury news uh, on this one. Montrez Harrell is expected to be activated for game one. He was given a seven-day quarantine after he returned i presume that is because he wasn't able to get tested every single day the way some of these other guys who had four-day quarantines were but doc river said he's going to just throw him right into the fire that he's earned that right despite the fact that presumably he hasn't been able to do much working out we'll see how effective he can be because he is very reliant on being in shape and outworking guys so that's a, a little bit of a concern for the clippers and then no update yet on the status of patrick beverly and landry shamit beverly with the calf issue shamit dealing with an ankle he was in a walking boot last we heard and then on dallas's side it seems like seth curry is back although he hasn't been playing particularly well there of course without a number of players who haven't been playing for them the whole time porzingis did miss a game with a left heel contusion but that was a game that dallas wanted to lose anyway against the suns to better their draft pick so uh dallas healthy at least in terms of the players who have been around where do you want to start on this series for me the biggest thing to watch here is when dallas has the ball and part of the reason i really didn't want this series is and i i you know i've got some crap on twitter from nugget from nuggets fans that i, I really wanted mavs nuggets is that the clippers have great personnel to make life really hard on luka Doncic. they have two really strong defensive wings and paul george and Kawhi leonard who yeah i mean luka's done well against damn near everybody but they have great talent and this if the clippers aren't going to be engaged now defensively then then they're never going to be engaged but the other part of why i think that's so specifically damaging against dallas is they're so star-centric heliocentric it it relies a lot on luka's creation and so if the clippers can take that away there aren't a lot of other ways for dallas for dallas to make them pay and another part of that is okay so let's say they you know you overload things on luka yes he's a wonderful passer but the clippers can also play some of their weaker defensive players because if you're relying on dallas's support guys they're not going to necessarily be able to make a pay if they're going to go to tim hardaway isos on lou williams so be it yeah, they do have a lot of guys that they can throw at him, although Patrick Beverly has often gotten the initial matchup uh, on Luka, and so him not being available could certainly be a concern for the Clippers. I don't think they were want to expend the energy of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard early in games. I'm, I think it's more about how they choose to defend pick and roll with Luka, particularly involving Kristaps Porzingis, because that to me is the bigger issue than the actual person who is guarding Luka, because, you know, you 
you can get that guy off of him with a screen and he's awesome at setting up screens Luca's also really good in iso though and so if you put george on him although he actually had some decent success against george or Kawhi on him you know maybe that happens more at the end of games but to take away that isolation ability my end game configuration would be Kawhi on porzingis and paul george on luca and then you just just straight up switch it and Kawhi on porzingis is also going to create all sorts of problems because he porzingis isn't going to be able to do shit in iso against him either no i agree with that um and porzingis is not a great isolation or post-up player so you can go that way the problem that a lot of teams have is well then where do you put your other big but of course the clippers have the ability even with someone like harold who's shown increased mobility this year marcus morris jamichael green doc rivers uh, spoke favorably of how those configurations with green at center look during the seating games and so i think that ultimately is what you're going to go to eventually if you're the clippers is switching that make luca go one-on-one make him go to that step back rather than the drive luca can still he's still going to eat in this series i think he's still going to have a solid series uh but because especially with the incredible spacing that Dallas enjoys with Porzingis out there, you just can't get enough help at the rim. And I think Dallas is the best offense in NBA history for a reason with this group. And so I think this is going to be largely an offensive series. And my big concern, though, is that Dallas can't guard the Clippers. That's my bigger problem for them in this series. It's a great concern because we talked in the previous one about who the hell is going to guard LeBron. The Clippers, Dorian Finney-Smith is going to have to do something. But I mean, I think they're going to be relying a lot on Moxie Kleba and a lot of other players. And remember that Porzingis, we've talked about how well he can do defending the rim, you know, being a specific rim protector. And one of the big benefits of Kawhi last year on the Raptors was they're not attacking in the same form and fashion. And I think that could end up being a real challenge for Dallas, along with all of the options the Clippers have, you know, like that they can, they could theoretically go to Lou Williams or Montrez Harrell and playing the hot hand, whether that's those guys or Marcus Morris or somebody else. I, I think that they're always going to have some sort of matchup advantage they can press well and particularly because it's Kawhi and Paul George at the same time yes and so maybe Dorian Finney-Smith can do an okay job on one of those two guys but then Tim Hardaway is guarding the other and Hardaway has made strides this year defensively but he is not capable of guarding either of those guys I might actually consider if I were Dallas putting Finney Smith on Paul George and saying all right you know yes Finney Smith is our best defender but he still can't stop Kawhi anyway he doesn't have the size and the strength so why don't we put Finney Smith on Paul George maybe he can at least limit Paul George a little bit and then with Kawhi we just acknowledge that we're gonna have to send massive amounts of help but we're gonna have to do that anyway so why use up our mass our best individual defender on Kawhi and still have to send help anyway why not put him on Paul George where maybe you can avoid having to help on George and you already were going to have to help on Leonard anyway. What do you think of that? I think it's a great idea. I, I fully support it. If you're good, I like the idea of using a weaker defender in the double situation anyway, because then you're, yeah, as you said, you're getting, you're putting the advantage in a different place. So yeah, totally on board. And I brought up the the amount of different looks that the Clippers could do. I think how Doc Rivers deploys Zubats and Harrell and Lou Will and all, it, it's going to be important. But I don't think that the Mavericks they can, I don't think they can do enough to take away the Clippers' limited. Defense defenders to make it that those guys aren't viable so i think lou williams could have a better series here than he will in some future rounds yeah absolutely i think uh, the struggle on the second unit for dallas containing that lou williams pick and roll with harrell it could be a difficult one you know maxi Kleba is going to be a key figure here and i think if it's just a straight iso he can guard Kawhi reasonably well you know Kawhi is not going to just blow by you necessarily and Kleba has quick feet he's got good reaction time 
to Gargoyle, although it's still tough for him to get over a screen in a pick and roll. And as long as Porzingis is out there, you're going to have to play a conservative pick and roll coverage. And Kleba, it's gonna, he's going to struggle to get over the screen. Kawhi should be able to eat out a pick and roll in the mid range. He's improved as a passer. I do think that the Clippers aren't really going to be able to play Zubats much in this series. Usually you try to get away with him at first because the other team has a center. But if that center is Porzingis, Zubac just playing a conventional pick and roll style against that Doncic Porzingis pick and pop, that's not going to work. So we may see either Jermichael Green starting or Harold starting if the Clippers struggle here early on. And then what the Clippers closing lineup is going to be is going to be fascinating. Is it Lou Williams going to be in that? Well, if Lou Williams is in that now, I mean, he's we'll see like exactly what the Lakers did to him. Doncic is going to hunt him on every pick and roll. And that's how you can get two on the ball potentially. And so if you're the Clippers, do you want to give Luka Doncic that easy out? I think this will actually be a good series to prepare the Clippers for what they're going to be dealing with with LeBron James in a similar fashion. And so this could be the series where Doc Rivers is like, no, you know what? I can't play Lou Williams at the end of the game. Certainly, I think you and I would advocate that because he's not going to be the main guy offensively. And so why have him out there as a defensive liability? We go more with, I mean, I think my closing group here would probably be Beverly, George, Leonard, Morris, and maybe Jermichael Green or Harrell. Most, more likely it'll probably be Harrell, but Jermichael Green, I think, is a little bit better defensively than Harrell. And we've talked about how that group doesn't have a lot of rim protection, but if you never give up the penetration to begin with, it doesn't matter as much. Any other important dynamics in this series, or do we want to move on to picks? I mean, just what happens with the jump shot with Luka. And then obviously, are the Mavs shooters going to hit their threes? Seth Curry, how much is he going to play? Are they going to be able to play him? I mean, these small guards for the Mavs, they like to go with small units, particularly when Luka is out of the game, just get a lot of ball handlers on the floor. Is the size of the Clippers' wings going to prevent them from doing that? Are we going to see a lot of these small, small pick and rolls run by the Clippers and you know Finney Smith you know they can kind of go with a little bit more of a defensive unit with Finney Smith and Kleba and Porzingis out there at the same time but they might you know Finney Smith and Kleba aren't as good a shooter as Tim Hardaway and Seth Curry so that's something to consider as well the Mavs wing depth especially if any of those guys get into foul trouble it could be a, a big thing to watch as well and well I want to mention one thing something I'm going yeah. to be keeping an eye on for this series both in terms of the Clippers viability moving forward through the next couple series and also thinking about Dallas is it's not so much how many games this series goes but the let's call it the overall series point differential you know if this is whether it's a five game series or a seven game series but the Clippers are you know dominating in their wins and the and the Mavs are winning close I will feel differently about it and it is also striking when you consider I probably would have picked Dallas especially in this neutral setting, I would have picked Dallas over Denver if that had been a series, whether it was 2-7 or 3-6. Yeah. Or Utah or OKC for that. Sure, matter. sure, if it, if, it had come, if it had come to pass that way. And this is just the nightmare for them, is facing the Clippers. And I think Dallas is a harder matchup for the Clippers than those other teams we were just talking about theoretically would have been. But that doesn't mean that much to the Clippers. That's, I mean, if I'm right and they're, a, they're one of the top-tier title contenders, then that is the way this should go. One other thing too, the coaching matchup in this series will be very enjoyable with Doc Rivers and Rick Carlisle. Both of those I think are in the top tier of coaches. This is our first time seeing Rick Carlisle with this much talent in the playoffs probably since 2011. I mean, he's still a massive underdog. I, I want to see if they're going to try some zone. If they want to find a way that leave Porzingis near the basket, pay, play Porzingis and Kleba at the same time, let those guys patrol the basket, force this Clippers team to take a lot of three-pointers. That's 
generally not what they've done they do it at times but they kind of they like to work into the mid-range they like to get fouled and so if you can take away the rim on this team you find a way to keep Porzingis close to the basket so he doesn't have to get out on the floor in pick and roll you know it's kind of harder to work into the mid-range sometimes against the zone because your screens don't quite work as well in a conventional pick and roll defense to time that up can they just kind of flummox this team particularly because i would say the biggest offensive weakness for the clippers is passing they don't have great passers on this team and maybe a zone they don't get a lot of motion on this team either they don't have those shooters other than maybe paul george who's been molten but other than paul george they don't have those shooters who you're just like man like this guy is just gonna like come off of screens he's gonna move without the ball we can't keep track of him and i would very seriously consider that they haven't played a lot of zone this year but Carlisle, of course, uh, has had that in his back pocket for many years now. You want to do one more? Well, no, we need to pick. Our, we need to pick the series. You want to do one more after we pick the series? Yeah, let's do. Well, we can do. We can do two more, and I think I know which two I want to do quickly. Um, the <laughs> so I'm going to go Clippers in five here. Very similar for me decision making process to Lakers Blazers in that the offensive talent of the underdog is enough to see them winning two games without the series being particularly close. But the most likely outcome for me is the better team winning in five. Luca and Porzingis push them to one. But the overall, and and I think that again, this was a, a something I brought up when we did the predictions for the Heat Pacers series. Is especially if that three, if the three comes up, and it's like let's say it's a three three one series or even three love in either of these, that's going to create major problems. It's like well shit, like we might as well we might as well go home. So I'm going to go Clippers yeah, in five, especially because going home means like you're not in the bubble anymore now. Right. Too. So I'm going to go Clippers in five. I think I will go Clippers six. And I think part of my reason for that is just the discontinuity for the Clippers. And that discontinuity is something that Doc Rivers is going to need to work out on the floor, whether it's Harrell, Shamit, Beverly. They just, even this whole year, they haven't had the guys that they wanted. Their whole team, I think, has been, Doc was saying they've had like two practices with their whole team healthy the entire year. Also, I think Zubats is a really bad matchup. So if Harrell isn't ready to go, they may struggle to find some production at the five. And they haven't played that much with these smaller units we saw them struggle to get rim protection like in that lakers game for example with the smaller units they've got to get more continuity there cohesiveness more help and recover than we've seen for them i think they can get there but this clippers team is not going to quite be there and if doc rivers was like all right i'm going to go full bore we're just going to play Kawhi and pg 42 minutes a night and we're just going to stick with whatever is working the best that night i might go five but i think it's six just because the clippers are going to kind of be easing into things and doc rivers is going to have to find the combination that works. I don't think he knows what those combinations are yet, and it may take some trial and error to get there. I think that's totally fair. I just think that he has more options. The trial and error is not going to involve as much error against the Mavericks because they they ramp up the difficulty uh, in terms of challenge. And they have so much more playoff experience, too, you would say. I mean, we just don't know what Luka and Porzingis are going to look like, but I'm I'm uh, giving some respect to to Rick Carlisle. That was the last point I wanted to make. If Luka shines in this series, this is going to be kind of like my bold prediction. Whether whether they, win, I don't think they're going to win the series. Whether they win or lose, I'm going to predict if he shines, he wins an MVP within the next three seasons because that shows the level of like skill and competence that we're, that he's going to have to do to get to that level. I'm not saying if he doesn't, that he won't, but I think that you know it, it's a crucible, and if he looks good in this crucible, then I'm gonna I'm gonna just keep pushing it harder. Okay, you said you wanted to do two more series, Bucks and Magic, Bucks and three. Half of what Brandon Jennings predicted. Yeah, I mean. 
if Jonathan Isaac was a, was available, this would be a much more exciting series for me. Something I am interested in is that with Vooch, the Magic don't attack the basket in the same way that some teams do. So this is this kind of the same idea that happened with the Clippers and or sorry happened with the Kawhi Raptors in a couple series last year, where or Chris Paul against the Jazz, where you don't have you, you're they're taking away something that the other team isn't going after as much in the first place, but. The Magic still aren't going to get anything offensively, and they also don't have anybody to stop Giannis, so this will be a big problem. Yeah, let's just catch up on the injury stuff. Aaron Gordon did not play the last four seeding games, but he did say he thinks he'll be ready in time for game one. They've been playing Gary Clark in his place, but he's very limited offensively. You mentioned the inability of the Magic to get to the rim, and if they don't have bigs who can hit the three-pointer, then they're really going to be in trouble because they're they're not getting anything at the rim against this Bucks defense. There's absolutely no way... And, you know, maybe Evan Fournier, who had an illness, I think he's going to be back. Uh, Terrence Ross, maybe those guys can get enough three-pointers up to make a couple of these games competitive. Um, you've also got, you know, Markel Fultz is not a great shooter. He's not going to be able to get anything at the basket. And, I mean, the Magic, I if they were fully healthy and they're playing the Raptors, I thought defensively they could do enough to maybe make a few of those games competitive. But in this one, you mentioned there's no one to guard Giannis. The one saving grace maybe for the Magic is they do pass pack the paint reasonably well the Bucks don't have great pick and roll play to attack Vucevic but also Vucevic doesn't have the athleticism to guard Giannis either he's not going to come over and make plays at the rim on Giannis he could get dunked on pretty badly a couple of times in this series well, well and remember uh, if they try to use yeah. Aaron Gordon on Giannis then who the hell is guarding Chris Middleton yeah well probably Fournier Fournier I think could do an okay job yeah. on him but but yeah and then you got you're getting into this deep bench with the Magic too I mean I think their bench is really going to get exposed carter williams has shot it better this year but between him fultz if fultz comes off the bench we don't know whether he or augustine is going to start or wes wundu is probably going to have to play he's not a good shooter so you just you got to be a really good outside shooting team to, to beat these bucks the magic are not that well, and, i'm predicting a sweep yeah i'm predicting a sweep as well and marco fultz is best getting out in transition i don't know that the magic are going to be stopping the bucks that to, to get out in transition then the half court his reluctance to shoot will be a major problem for for Orlando, whether Fultz is starting or coming off the bench. And I could see, you know, like there is absolutely a scenario for me where the Magic win a game, maybe two, if the Bucks just aren't hitting their shots. If Bledsoe's still working his way into form, he has not looked particularly good to me since since returning after his COVID diagnosis. But they have the the margin for error that the Bucks have in this series is massive, and so I think that they can handle DiVincenzo struggling or Bledsoe struggling or Chris Middleton finding a shot. Like they they can all of those bad things can happen, and they can still be favored to win that game. And that's why they have some real time here to get right. And so, yeah, bucks and four. Yeah, Orlando is 33 and 40, and they're missing a bunch of their best players due to injury. And the Bucks are one of the best regular season teams of all time. They beat bad teams. The Magic are, if not a bad team, an exceedingly mediocre one. These kinds of series do not end in anything other than a sweep. Here's my question to you, Danny. What percent chance would you give the Magic of winning one game in this series? 20%, 30%? I would go as high as like 50 or, or percent. I mean, I th- I think that's uh i mean sweeps are relatively uncommon even well but so. also remember that they're going to be more common now like yeah, if, you're if this right. gets yeah without the home games you're right yeah, yeah. maybe i'd say yeah I'd say they have a 40 percent chance of winning one game in this series i mean you re- remember what the bucks did to detroit last year and i would say this magic team isn't quite as bad as that detroit team without blake griffin last year but kind of close. and i think the bucks 
I think they might be they might be more amped up for this because they remember they didn't have the long ennui of just of just like being having everything settled. Um, let's go to Raptors Nets. That was the other one that I thought this one I want to put a little bit of time in, and I think that Brooklyn Jacques Vaughn deserves a lot of credit. We talked about him in the in the bubble awards for how he has been able to cultivate a successful offense and defense from this very limited group. The problem here for them is Toronto's defense. I, I mean, I think that even though the Raptors, you know, like they're not a perfect defensive team, I think that they have the personnel is so good that Karis LeVert's going to have a hard time getting going. I think they could take Joe Harris away largely in the same way that they did with Duncan Robinson. And when you consider that Nick Nurse, one of his biggest strengths last season was playoff adjustments and scheming up the right circumstance, right the right approach for that specific opponent's strengths and weaknesses. Brooklyn doesn't have enough counter punches to be able to handle that. Well, if you just look at it on paper, you could make a little bit of an argument for Brooklyn being set up well to score as well as anyone can. You said this isn't a perfect round defense. It's pretty darn close. <laughs> it as is. far as I'm concerned. I think it's it's pretty good. They got a lot of great players. Uh, but for me, you might say, hey, Brooklyn is shooting the ball really well right now. Toronto gives up a ton of threes. What if they get hot? But then you hit on, on what I think is the key point, and that is they have the personnel to play a different way if they want to, right? And you saw what they did to Duncan Robinson. That's Fred Van Vliet. He's got a ton of experience. I imagine that he might even get the assignment on Joe Harris to chase him around screens, trying to take him out of it. The Nets really need Harris as the second score. I'll be interested to see whether it's OG Ananobi getting the assignment on Karis LeVert to start, but they've got a lot of guys who can do that. They can also, I think, switch one through four and be very comfortable with any of those four guys guarding LeVert. For Brooklyn, I assume they're going to stick with LeVert at point guard and not go with Chris Chioza. And we might see some interesting moments when Brooklyn goes to their backup unit with they only have one true center. You know, if it's going to be Kuroks at backup center, maybe his spacing can open things up a little bit. Uh, you know, also, this is a Brooklyn team without a ton of continuity. Few of these players have really been, at least in these type of roles, in the playoffs uh, before. Jock Vaughn has done a nice job so far, but I think he might be overmatched in this coaching matchup. Um, and Brooklyn also has absolutely nobody to guard Pascal Siakam. Right. And they also, I mean, Jared Allen, I brought up Yusuf Nurkic has to avoid foul trouble because in, in the Lakers series, Jared Allen has no backup. He has no backup center and Toronto can, it'd be, you brought up individually defending Siakam, but that's where I think it's going to come to roost. It's not necessarily Siakam going going crazy, but getting Jared Allen in trouble, he is, in, he is a help defender who wants to try to help you know, who wants to try to be involved. And if Jared Allen can't stay on the floor, the Raptors, A, aren't, or sorry, the Nets aren't going to get any, aren't going to get many offensive rebounds, but also their interior defense is just going to be in tatters. And I, I could see that being a big challenge. And yeah, Brooklyn, I'm impressed with what they've done so far. And sometimes smoke and mirrors teams continue to defy expectations later on. But I think talent wins out, especially in the circumstance like this, where full credit to Jacques Vaughn for the job he did, but he doesn't have the coaching advantage on Nick Nurse. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Also, some of these nets have been shooting over their head. Like Tyler Johnson, I don't see him making like a bunch of fadeaway long twos coming off of screens in this series necessarily. You know, he's had to play the backup point guard. That's been something where I just don't win. Lavert is out of the game. I expect Brooklyn to get rocked. Well, he, here's here's my qu- th- this is what I'm thinking of with this series. 
How many points do the Nets score in the first quarter of game one? I think they're just going to, yeah, I mean, considering their last game was against the Blazers, it's just going to be like getting hit in the face. We'll see. Maybe they, because I don't know if Nick Nurse is going to just start off with any of the adjustments. They may start with their base scheme and perhaps the Nets will start hitting a bunch of threes and they'll change up. But he has that veteran group that can do that. The question here is four or five. Uh, I will let you go first this time. Four. Even though the Raptors are cursed in game once, and I'm going to feel mad if they lose, if they they lose (laughs) game one. Dare I be seduced by the three-point shooting of the Nets? Yeah, if they had a home game, I might be willing to pick five. But no, I think I got to go four as well. Just without them having a home game, it's just really going to be difficult for them. So I, I think I will go with the sweep as well. I just sort of was thinking about it and I'm like, sometimes my approach will be like, okay, would I feel dumber if I pick five and it's four? Or will I feel dumber if I pick four and it's five? And I definitely will feel dumber if I pick five and it's four. So I'm going to pick four. And that will do it for today. Thanks so much for joining us. We got to do the rest of the playoff outlooks tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. And then, of course, Monday, one of our favorite days of the year, we can wrap up four NBA playoff games on Monday. That'll be a lot of fun. Keep your eyes peeled. We'll be doing some kind of live content, whether it's the traditional NBA cast, whether it's International League Pass, something along those lines. So stay posted on Twitter. We just, uh, it's up in the air still a little bit, it seems like. And Hollinger and Duncan will be out tomorrow as well. We want to actually do that before the playoffs since we're not going to have time watching all those games on Monday. So please or listen to John and I there tomorrow. So I'll have two pods tomorrow to listen to as well. Anything you want to talk about before we go, Danny? Those of you who are Patreon subscribers, thank you so much. Um, We're still taking questions for a little bit longer for our mailbag. And then you can look for the Patreon subscriber mailbag at some point in the next few days. Absolutely. Talk to you all tomorrow. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.